Okay. Go ahead and come back to me. Go ahead and come back to me. The uh, recording is now started so they can get some of your, your, your insights. But I, I'm kind of curious, a little nervous too. Um, I want to hear it. What, what is the wisest, most practical, open discussion? What, what did you say? What did you say? Always check toilet paper supply before you go. <laughs> That's practical. That's a practical man. I like that. Always check the toilet. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> okay, that sounds like an experience talking. <laughs> look before, look before you leap. That's the proverb of that. We're gonna be in proverbs. Look before you leap. Um, what else? What else do you have? Turn the other cheek. Okay, a word of Jesus. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Turn the other cheek. Okay. What, are the, what, what else? What else have we got? Wise practicality. What do you got? Uh, the wise words of my sister-in-law on Instagram threads. We're all just peanuts in the butter machine. <laughs> all just peanuts in the butter machine. I feel like we'll see. I want you and I, we're going to see if I can connect that to Ecclesiastes. Okay, we're all just peanuts in the butter machine. Awesome. So today, today we're talking about the wisdom literature. Um, and so the idea of the wisest and most practical advice that you could give someone, um, the Bible has a section of this. It has, it has a section of wisdom, of wisdom that is given to someone else. And I have two goals for this section of today's lesson. Um, the first section is going to be simply to walk you through the how of wisdom literature, um, some things to keep in mind, some common dangers that, are, that happen when people approach the wisdom literature, because wisdom literature is actually very different from the other parts of Scripture. It's very interesting. It's very fascinating. And then we'll take a discussion break, and then we're going to walk through the specifics, the what of um, the purpose of each book. Um, before we pray, I just want to open up with the words of the Word of God. Um, Ecclesiastes 12.12. 12. Of the making of books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. And so just remember today, as you are zoning out and you're getting tired, the Word of God has said that. Okay, that's part of the wisdom. That's part of the process. Much study wearies the body. And that's the college experience. So part of wisdom. So anyway, let's pray. And then we're going to get talking about wisdom. Father God, I just thank you for the chance to teach, um, to open up your Word and to speak um, your truth. Um, Lord, I believe uh, foundationally that you are the foundation of all wisdom. Um, Jesus, I believe that you are the fulfillment of all wisdom. And so I just ask you and your spirit to be here with us. Um, I ask not only that you would guide us to godliness, but you would help grow our minds, that you would help us in the complexity of this life, um, that you would help us be godly and apply that godliness in all areas. I pray, not that we could go through all of the wisdom literature, but that it would just catapult us into a deeper love of your word. So I pray that you would do that today, and I pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we talked about this idea of wisdom, and you guys have kind of hit a little bit on uh, this idea. Um, if we could just sum it up in, in a couple things, um, starting with the what, like uh, let's just define wisdom. Um, you notice a couple things. Um, wisdom involves knowledge. Involves knowledge. The idea that you need to uh, you need to look at toilet paper before you go. He has knowledge. He has experience there. There's 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 knowledge happening. You have to know something about life. And there's also practicality. It's very it's very concrete. It's not just abstract and, and lofty, but it, it's down to earth. Um, if I can say it like this, uh, wisdom wisdom is a dad thing. You know, wisdom, wisdom is a dad thing. Wisdom is what your dad was trying to get you to do all your life, okay? I'm not saying your mom's not wise, but um, just listen. Like, this is my experience growing up, okay? Um, I walk into my home, and I'm greeted by my mom. She's like, oh, I love you. Tell me about your week. Oh, so sweet. You know, like, that's, that's mom. Dad's like, change your oil. <laughs> How's the sheetrock coming? 
boy, come here. Let me let me show you how to put this tile down. You know, like he doesn't he doesn't care. It's like let me let me teach you. It's 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 practical. It's concrete. It's know-how, and it's it's a uh, it's uh, it's very practical. Um, so wisdom is a dad thing. This is such a, a a firm point that the book of Proverbs opens up as a dad talking to his son. It opens up as a dad talking to his son, listen to me, my son, words of the wise, words of instructions to lead you along the just path. So words of a dad talking to his son. But it's not just a dad thing, if you catch the point. Um, that's at least my dad. Um, wisdom is also a feminine thing, which is kind of a weird thought. Um, wisdom, in one of the texts, we'll talk a little bit about this later, is personified as a woman. It's personified as a woman, a very elegant woman, like a, this, this cosmic, Proverbs 8, um, very beautiful, very knowledgeable. She cries aloud to, to everyone, come and know f- from me. She said she was the first of God's creation. She is trying to bring everyone in and, and bring them into to God. She's an aspect of God, both kind of a, a, a masculine thing and a feminine thing going together in the book of Proverbs. That's wisdom. The meeting place of knowledge and practicality, at least just in general. So how does the Bible describe wisdom? We had some of your descriptions of wisdom. Um, the Bible says something like this, and I, want some, I had some readers, so let's start, with, uh, let's start with Job 28, verse 28. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To shun evil, that is understanding. Interesting how we might apply wisdom in different ways. Um, let's go Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And Ecclesiastes 12.13-14. The author of Ecclesiastes, thank you guys, um, looks at all of what he says, the ups and downs, and he says, this is the conclusion. Fear God. Fear God. And keep His commands. So you, you caught, I hope you caught all of that. It was pretty simple. He said, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. It's an interesting thought. There's a lot of different things that we could describe wisdom as. But the Bible says, foundationally, it is the fear of God. The fear of God. And I know when we say fear, it it translates over as actually being afraid. And and in these moments, it's good to remember that God is, is loving and just, and perfect love casts out fear, so we're not actually supposed to be afraid of God. The Hebrew, I believe, and most scholars say, translates something like this. The fear of God, the beginning of wisdom, is the utmost human respect of the Lord. The highest degree of respect. That is the fear of the Lord. In my words, it is respect bathed in awe. Respect bathed in awe. To maintain a mindfulness of the Lord in common decision makings in the smallest pieces of your life. That is, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. Whatever's on the throne of your heart, is it God? Do you keep Him at the forefront? That's wisdom. That's what the Bible says. It's foundationally. That's how we have to start, and I, I think that's also we have, how we have to end. That's how the Bible says it. So let's summarize and come up with a definition of wisdom, just to keep things concrete and not in the lofty thoughts. What is wisdom? A joke I once heard um, that I think works pretty well says, knowledge, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Not bad. Not bad. 
But the biblical definition is this. Just, that's just for you. Keep, keep it for yourself. The biblical definition is this. Wisdom is the combination of knowledge and practicality all grounded upon a moral framework of highest respect to the Lord. Knowledge, practicality, morality, all in one. To put it simply, wisdom is the skill of applying godliness. The skill of applying godliness, that is wisdom. And we, as believers, need to grow in wisdom. We need to grow in wisdom. It's not given. It's not given that you're godly and then you're just, you're just wise. Um, I think godliness should be something that we all have, but when you have godliness, you need to grow in, in wisdom. In the words of Jesus, in Matthew 10, 16, He says, Be as innocent as doves, innocent as doves, and then be as shrewd, as cunning, as wise, as serpents. It's an interesting thought. The godly must become wise. The godly must become wise. So, that is wisdom. So how, let's start walking into um, the wisdom literature. Because the Bible actually gives you, God has given you a book, um, actually several books of the Bible, to develop your skill at analyzing life, your skill of applying this wisdom to life. And so we're going to start walking through the background and the what's and the how of wisdom literature. So what is wisdom literature? It's kind of a, it's kind of a nebulous thing. It, it can be a different definition. Wisdom literature is instructional literature, instructional literature that has the goal of developing character and insight. It's instructional literature that has the goal of developing character and insight in the reader. Most often, when people are talking about wisdom literature, they're talking about, I'm just going to call it the big three, okay? Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. That's what most people are talking about when they're talking about uh, wisdom literature. There's other potential texts. There's wisdom texts that go in line with that, too. Um, things like Song of Songs. Things like some Psalms are described as wisdom Psalms. And then parts of the New Testament. Uh, words of Jesus are described as uh, wisdom literature. James has a lot of things that are called wisdom literature. But that's the big three are typically Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Of the central three of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and, um, and Job, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are connected in some fashion to Solomon. In some fashion. Proverbs mentions Solomon as his author. Ecclesiastes is tied to Solomon, but he might not be, have a direct link to Solomon. Um, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes most likely come from the court of Hezekiah, if you know that figure in the Bible. So that's around 700 B.C. Um, Job, we know very, very little about Job. Uh, who the author was or when it came from. So that's a fascinating thought. Um, the theology of Proverbs deals in what's called creation theology. And this is where it gets a little interesting, okay, if you want to think for a moment. It's almost like you're in the Old Testament and you've stepped outside of the Old Testament, okay? You don't hear much, much if at all, about covenant, about law, about Israel. You just, you just don't hear them mentioning much of that stuff. And you don't hear them talking about things like, thus saith the Lord. They, they have a different approach when they're talking about, like, how can we get these, get these truths? It's not revealed theology. It's called creation theology. And the idea is that they are making observations and inferences about life. Um, and they're trying to make a general application. Okay? So, Moses says, Thus saith the Lord. And then, if I can just walk you through this a little bit. You remember this thing? The author's intended meaning? Imagine I just drew that because you can't see the, the marker. Okay? God spoke to Moses. Maybe. God spoke to Moses. Yes. Praise the Lord. Okay? And then we have to get to the uh, universal truth. 
and then we have to apply it, okay? The way the wisdom literature works is it's less here, it's less time bound because the wisdom literature tends to focus more on like this is the general truth, which is just fascinating. It just deals up here. This is, these are truths about life, which is just, I guess, a less gap between us. It talks about friends. It talks about money. It talks about family. Easier to connect to our life. But that also means this. It's general truths. It's not absolute, absolute truths. Got to get my thing right. So... One of the dangers, and we'll talk about this later, is people will see Proverbs as promises. Okay, they'll see God says this, and if God says this, and if I do this exactly, then it'll be this every time. Okay, so like working hard will bring about success, and if I bring about, if I, if I sow, if I'm, if I'm a farmer, if I sow seed at the right time, I will be successful. That's how they'll think about it. But the difficulty is, is a general truth. Um, and things like drought comes in and, and you, lose, you lose harvest. And so you have to approach the wisdom literature in the right way. One thing to keep in mind is if you didn't work hard and you didn't sow, you would never get that. So that's kind of, it's kind of what the author of wisdom literature is going forward, is going for there. Moving forward. Um, one of the things that the... Uh, the wisdom literature um, speaks in is, I'm going to just go over these a bit, um, prose, which is straightforward literature, proverbs, which we'll talk about later. And this is an interesting thought. Most of wisdom literature is in poetry. It is in poetry. And you guys know how poetry works. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day, kind of like Shakespeare? Um, it's stylized. It's highly metaphorical. Um, the entire book of Job is in poetry. And that means you need to be careful with how you take the themes or the, the words that are being said in the poetic terms. So Job uh, 38, 35 is very poetic, very lofty poetry of God. Um, it speaks of the lightning bolts coming before God and saying, reporting to him, and then going about their way, okay? If we're not careful, we'll think, like, do lightning bolts, are they real? Do they have, like, personality? Does God send every single lightning bolt? You know, like, do they, do lightning bolts speak? No. It's a poem. You understand how poems work. It's very poetic. Um, poetry, in the words of Michael Travers, allows the reader to taste, touch, smell, or hear the matters which the poet portrays. It's very visceral. And finally, um, the hermeneutics of wisdom literature. The hermeneutics of wisdom literature. Uh, one quick tip when you are approaching um, the science of interpretation, how to, how to approach the Bible. Um, this is a phrase that I got from Bible college. I think it's very helpful um, when you approach different texts. It says, don't read the Bible literally, don't read the Bible metaphorically, read the Bible naturally. Don't read the Bible literally, don't read the Bible metaphorically, read the Bible naturally. So whichever genre you're in, you need to read it to where you fit that genre. If it helps when it tells you exactly what you're in. So things like um, the Song of Songs. It says, hey, this is a song. Read it like a song. Um, Luke will sometimes say, Jesus said a parable. Read it like a parable. Read it naturally to that parable. Sometimes it's harder to find, but the idea is whatever genre you are in, it is right to read those statements in that genre. Here's how this plays out with wisdom literature. Wisdom literature has tension and complexity. Tension and complexity. That's one of your main ideas on your point. Tension and complexity. Paul's letters 
are straightforward. This is who Jesus is. Believe in Him. You are sinning. Repent. Okay? The law is very blunt, very black and white. Do, 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 don't, don't, don't. That's the law. There's a lot of don'ts. A lot of don'ts. They're, they're acting up in ancient Israel. Don't do all that stuff. Okay? The prophets are urgent. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Um, the idea is to listen, to obey. The wisdom literature is very different. Very different. A lot of tension, a lot of complexity within itself. Um, it argues within itself. Sometimes it says true things. Sometimes it says half-truths that sound really convincing. Um, let's, let's do this for a second. Will someone read Job 4, 7, and 9? Job 4, 7, and 9. And I want you guys to pay attention to the words and tell me just a general thought of what is being said. Consider who has perished when he was innocent. Where have the honest been destroyed? In my experience, those who plow injustice and those who sow trouble reap the same. They perish at a single blast from God and come to an end by the breath of his nostrils. Okay. So just give me a general idea, Enoch, since you read it. General idea from there. I mean, it's just <clears throat> talking about you don't, if you don't sow, you don't reap, basically, is what I see. Okay, and he says something along the lines of God will punish the wicked, right? Yes. If you sow trouble, you'll reap trouble. Trouble, okay? Uh, by the way, you find that thought in uh, Galatians uh, 6. He who sows, uh, I can't remember what he says, will reap. God will not be mocked. I can't remember how it says right now. Um, that sounds really good, right? It sounds like a theological truth, right? Right? Galatians 6 affirms that. Okay, who says that, by the way? In Job? Yeah. Oh, I yeah, no, it's okay. Eliphaz. Eliphaz. Eliphaz says that. Eliphaz says that in Job. Can I read you Job 42, uh, verse 7? After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, the Lord, the Lord says this, he said to Eliphaz, the guy that just sounded like he said some good things, um, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken truth about me, but Job, my servant, has. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? It's tension. It's complexity. Eliphaz and his friends, they say true things at times. They say untrue things at times. That's part of the wisdom literature, is knowing there, there's, there's complex things that are happening. And you need to know that going in. Um, the big idea of wisdom literature is not necessarily to believe and obey, although there are things to believe and obey in it, okay? It is to think and to act. To think and act. This is a uh, quote from Derek Kidner, where the bulk where the bulk of the Old Testament calls us to simply believe and obey, this part of it summons us to think hard as well as humbly, to keep our eyes open, to use our conscience and our common sense, and not to shirk from the most disturbing questions. Wisdom literature calls you to think, to question, to examine deeper, and act. Those are two big ideas from the wisdom literature. Some dangers. Proverbs are not promises. We've already kind of talked about that. Proverbs are not generalized statements that every time you apply it, you will get that result. It's, it's, it is a general truth, but it's a relative truth, if that makes sense. If you follow that, it will generally go well for you. And if you leave that path, it will generally go poorly for you based on God's created order. Second main point from the wisdom literature is to read the wisdom literature in light of each other. Read the wisdom literature in light of each other. The basic idea that most scholars think that this works is Proverbs sets up a beautiful, rational, ordered world, and then Ecclesiastes and Job 
contradicts that in ways. They offer nuance in ways, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But you're supposed to read them all together and gain the, the viewpoint that God is intending you to get. And the last one, and I think we just, we just showed that, is to pay close attention to voice. Close attention to voice. If you find yourself quoting Eliphaz, God says you're wrong. <laughs> if you're in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a roller coaster. And at the very end, he says, this is the conclusion. You've got to pay close attention to voice and wisdom literature. Okay, we're going to take about a five, five to seven minute break. You have question uh, one, and then we'll come back in a little bit. Okay, let's go ahead and come back. Um, I, do, I do just want to ask. It will just doesn't have to, but we do have time for maybe two, two, three questions before moving on. Is there anything that you guys want further info on um, before we just roll right into the three, the big three of wisdom literature? So any questions on, on wisdom literature that you want to throw out right now? The answer to the intro question? <laughs> um, I would say, if I'm being serious, the wisest answer I can give is apply Christianity as far as you can in your life. That's, that's my answer. If I'm being silly, I'll come back to you. Come back to you. Okay. Yeah. I was kind of curious, the, the idea of like the skill of applying godliness mm-hmm. is interesting to me just because you see the way Solomon just goes off the rails at the end of his life. Yeah. And so, you know, what is, just how do you see that when you see kind of that picture of Solomon at the end of his life, and yet he wrote so much of this, yeah. at least it was inspired by a lot of this. Yeah. So that's an interesting thought. Um, why is Solomon the wisest man, and then he didn't he didn't follow God. A um, couple thoughts. I, I'll start with this. Um, wisdom is, I, we didn't get to get in this part, but wisdom in the Bible can be defined in different ways. Um, it can be defined as knowledge, like a really smart, like a professor. Um, it can be defined as someone who has insight. Like, uh, like you go to your mom when you have like a hard, complex question. Um, wisdom can be defined as someone who's really good with their hands. Um, I believe the person that built the tabernacle um, is defined is called really wise because they're skilled. Remember that idea of skilled, practical? Um, so there's actually six different definitions that the Bible uses. If I remember, Solomon asks for wisdom and also the ability to lead God's people. And so he starts, he starts based on the law. It's like this, this beautiful Deuteronomy. He's the king from Deuteronomy. And then as he, in his wisdom and making choices, begins making choices that depart from God's law. And so he, he, he moves into, if we can say, worldly wisdom and away from godly wisdom. And he turns into folly. So it, while he might be good at discernment, he wasn't applying godliness, if that helps you sort through that. So, great question. How can we tie, you said to read all three, if you can, what would be a practical way to kind of like understand how to read all three, like coinciding with each other? Yeah, most people set up Proverbs, Uh, we'll get into this in a moment, great question, good intro question. Um, They set up Proverbs, and then they say Ecclesiastes nuances Proverbs, and then Job, like, says, how do a righteous, how does the person of Proverbs, this righteous, wise person, suffer in a very difficult situation? So Ecclesiastes and and Proverbs almost contrast, and and Job is Proverbs in the hardest situation of life, if that helps. That's what you think. Okay. Um, okay, 
Great question, guys. Uh, always love to talk more about this. Let's start walking through book by book um, of the big three. So an overview, I kind of just said this, but I'll say it again. Um, an overview of the three books. The idea of wisdom, if I could just say it like this, is a righteous life is a life worth living. That's especially, actually, I think you can say that in all three. Um, the book of Proverbs presents a rational ordered norms of life. It is very, very optimistic. If you live righteously, if you live righteously, if you live wise, the fear of God, it will go well for you. Very optimistic. Um, A, B equals C. Okay. Um, Ecclesiastes comes in and says, we'll, we'll take questions later, um, says it may not, it may not go well for you. In fact, anything may happen, but Righteousness is the only thing that gives life meaning. That gives life meaning. A different, different angle. Okay? And then Job says, a righteous life... I'll slow down a bit. A righteous life will not protect you from suffering, but it will guide you through the suffering and complexities of life. It's an overview of how they relate to each other. We'll start with Proverbs. Proverbs. The theme of Proverbs is that God has established the world with rationality and order, and if you live within that ordered well, world, it'll go well for you. It speaks of very common everyday issues, marriage, money, speech, friendship. Um, it's called Proverbs. It's called Proverbs because of its proverbial statements. Um, this, the idea of proverbial statements is these short, like punchy, like one-two lines. It's literally like one-two uh, lines of wisdom. It'll say a phrase and then the second phrase will come in right after that to enhance the first phrase. Um, and it often speaks of, um, it's, it's very memorizable, very catchy, very practical. We actually have these in America. We have Proverbs. Um, so if, just finish this phrase. Just, just, just work with me. Just finish this phrase. Look before you leap. <laughs> speak. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Look before you speak. <laughs> Um, the early bird gets the there you go um, if you can't stand the heat get out the table house. amen stay in the table house and suffer that's how we finish that line um, we have proverbs we have proverbs now we have proverbs then it's kind of a, a thing this catchy memorizable phrase um, interesting point universal we've already talked about that um, we've already talked about how to read. They're not promises. Um, Proverbs teach, just going back over this, Proverbs teach probable truths, not absolute truths. These are not absolute promises of God, but wise principles live by in God's ordered world. A couple significant passages I just want you to know before we move on to the next one. Proverbs 8 is a very significant passage, Lady Wisdom. It's, it's significant not only in the book of Proverbs, but it's significant in the Bible, okay? Um, go read Proverbs 8, and then go read John 1, and say, who am I talking about here? Is this Jesus? Is Proverbs 8, is this like some sort of like pre-incarnate Christ? Like, like the way they speak of wisdom is also the way they spoke of Jesus. Um, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy how much the two interrelate. Um, I think it's a little bit too far, the connections you can draw, um, but it is a very interesting study for you to have. Um, just for you to know, um, when the early church was debating about like the nature of Jesus, they often went to Proverbs 8 and tried to bring that in. Just be like, look, look, look at this. And, and argue about that. Um, yeah, Proverbs 8. And another one, and I just, I just want to say this, uh, Proverbs 31. Um, I know there is um, a history here with a lot of people um, that it's been used in the church to talk about what woman, womanhood is, and it kind of um, culture like blends in and says like, like imports their imagery of, of what womanhood is. But but I just, I just want to say this, if I, can just, if I can just comment on this, because we're on the subject of wisdom. If you went and read Proverbs 31, 
Like that is an amazing person. Like, like woman or, or man, like, like I, I want to be like Proverbs 31 woman. Like seriously, not because of anything like weird. I want to be a Proverbs 31 man, if I can say it like that. Um, but because um, she looks a lot like Jesus. She looks a lot like Jesus. Because she, Proverbs 31, is Proverbs 8 personified. Proverbs 8 personified. Just, just listen to how it speaks of her. It says she cares for her own. She is wise, good at business, physically strong, shrewd, overflowing wisdom like a fountain. Okay? I know that people use that and they say that women has to be this and then there's some frustrations and I'm sorry. But I hope that you can read that and reject what culture says and still let the Bible speak about what true womanhood is because that looks like a very, very amazing person that anyone should strive to be like. So just wanted to make some comments on that. That is Proverbs. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. The theme of Ecclesiastes is an autobiography. How do you say this? An, an autobiographical quest for the meaning of life. An autobiographical quest for the meaning of life and the ultimate good. If Ecclesiastes was a song, it'd be the Rolling Stones song. You can't always get what you want. Okay, but sometimes you just might find you get what you need. And sometimes you don't, but it's okay, because you have God. Mick Jagger didn't say that, but Ecclesiastes said that. Um, Ecclesiastes is, is autobiography. Um, it uses uh, cynicism, deep cynicism. It's a critic, uh, looking at life and poking holes as satire, sarcasm, to the point of being bitter. Ecclesiastes is a roller coaster of a ride. Um, the key phrase in Ecclesiastes is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's all hevel. It's all vapor. Life cannot be grasped. Meaning is not found in earthly endeavors. A guide, a guide for you in walking through Ecclesiastes is to save your judgment as you go through the roller coaster to the very end. Okay? Because he tells you what to think. He says the conclusion of the matter is this fear God and keep his commands. Okay? Save your final judgment as you to the very end, but still at the same time wrestle with the complexities as you, you're meant to wrestle. Remember? That's what wisdom literature is trying to do, if that makes sense. You can't speak the truth like authoritatively from the, the pit of the roller coaster, you know, but you still need to go through it. You'll gain the wisdom at the very end. That's a guide. A um, couple quick thoughts. There's two voices. Remember to pay attention to voices um, in Ecclesiastes. One is the narrator. He begins and finishes the book. The other is the author, who is a Solomon-like figure. It doesn't have to be Solomon, but he at least wants to make you think that he is in the vein of Solomon when he's speaking. You can believe he's Solomon if you want. Um, don't have to, though. Um, a couple main points that uh, Ecclesiastes is trying to get, about, get at. Um, apart from God, life is meaningless. Um, wisdom does not explain the contradictions of life. It only points them out. Life is not a puzzle to be completely understood but a gift to be enjoyed. Life cannot be understood completely. It is a gift to be enjoyed. One significant text for you, I think this is a beautiful, like a hauntingly beautiful passage uh, before we move on to Job, is Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10. It says this, Go, eat your bread with pleasure, drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already accepted your works. God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and never let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life 
with the wife you love all the days of your meaningless life. Yeah. He's like, eat with pleasure, drink cheerful heart, enjoy your wife, let your clothes be white all the days of your meaningless life, which has been given to you. It's a gift under the sun all your fleeting days. For this is your portion and your struggle under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do with all your strength, because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in the grave where you are going. It's a beautiful, complex passage. Enjoy life to the fullest. Love God and love the people that God has given you as deeply as you can, but don't put meaning that isn't there in them because you won't find it. It won't satisfy you. Hauntingly beautiful. It's Ecclesiastes. And let's go to Job. Um, how many of you guys like plays? Are you, any, any of you guys in here like play people? Play people? Okay, only one. I was like, I know there's some more people. Okay, play, play people. Um, and you guys like, like Shakespeare? You guys like Shakespeare? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of. Can anyone like just quote me a random line from Shakespeare? Is anyone? Et tu brute, yeah. What you <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I like it. I like it. Okay, okay. I like that. We got two. We got two Romeo and Juliet ladies. Two people that have memorized Romeo and Juliet over here. I like it. I like it. Um, it one, one quick thing. One quick thing to note. Um, like poetry says truths very powerfully. What did you say? What did you say? What was the poetry? What, what, what was your quote? Uh, Romeo, Romeo, why art that Romeo? For a rose would be as sweet for any other name. A rose would be as sweet under any other name, right? Yeah. Can you say the same thought, just basic? No poetry. Rose still smells like Hey, hey, Juliet, you're pretty. <laughs> I, I don't know. Rose poop. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You're good. You're good. You're good. Um, but it's it's poetic and it, it captures. She, he's comparing he's pre- comparing Juliet to a rose. You know, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> no, no, I'm just. You're doing great. You're doing great, man. You quoted Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> um, Job, Job, reads like a play. It reads like a play. It reads like a Shakespearean play, if I can import that. It reads like a Shakespearean tragedy. It reads like a Shakespearean tragedy. If you read the stuff that is said in there, it is lofty. It is high, high poetry. The things that Job says, you can just use your imagination like, I sign my indictment and I give it to God. I am defend, I am innocent. There are friends that are in screaming matches at each other. You have sinned and ignored God. You have murdered. It's just it's it's a play. It's in my opinion, it's a tragedy. It's insane. It's insane. And then it's crescendos when God steps in. The poetry that God says is magnificent. He takes Job on a tour of creation and he says, Where were you? Where were you when I founded the earth on its pillars? Where were you when I shut the fountains of the deep in? Do you, Job, do you lay down in the grass next to the deer as it gives birth? Do you watch the deer's young leave? It's beautiful. It's beautiful poetry. The idea that God is is saying is like, I am so sovereign that my answer would not even make sense to you, and I'm so present in all of my creation that I have control. It's beautiful. It's beautiful stuff. It is high poetry. The themes that Job wrestles with is things like, is God just? Is God wise? And most importantly, is God to be trusted? Can we trust God? Is God sufficient at all times for his people? 
One quick thing to note, um, Job is a book about wisdom. It's a book about wisdom. It's not a book about suffering, okay? It's a book where suffering is the occasion for them to discuss wisdom, okay? Suffering enters into a man's life and humanity cannot figure out what's happening to this righteous and good man. And they debate and they debate, they talk, they, they yell at each other and they get nowhere until God steps in the scene. But he doesn't give answers to suffering. And that's important. If you come in the book of Job looking for answers to suffering, you're going to be very let down because Job doesn't give, God doesn't give answers to suffering. It is a book about wisdom. And the answer, the answer that is given is God alone. God alone is wise. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and say this. Uh, the big thing that their assumptions that they're dealing with is a thing called retribution theology. Retribution theology, and it's basically ancient health and wealth um, thinking. It goes something like this. Um, if you're a sinner, you suffer. If you're righteous, you get rewarded because God, that's how God's justice works. That's, that's what they're assuming. Um, and so you can see how they argue about that because they assume they know what God's justice is. Um... The literary context, you guys have already heard this, um, it's three chapters of, of prose, straightforward narrative, and then 40 chapters, I think, maybe it's 39 chapters of poetry in between it. Remember that it is a story, and it should be read as a story with a plot. Um, some, this is kind of interesting, I'm going to go ahead and share it with you. Um, some have considered Job history, strict history. Some have considered Job um, a parable, and so there's like no history at all. Um, it can honestly lend itself either way. The later biblical authors speak about it as history. The way Job reads is like a play. Um, my personal opinion is it's history plus plus. So it's like something probably happened earlier and then a later author's were reflecting upon that in a very high, lofty way. Because you just don't speak like that. You know, this is my opinion. This is my, not God, Alex's opinion. You just don't speak in grandeur ways as you're arguing. You know, you don't speak in poetry. But you guys might, so I don't know. Um, anyway. Uh, main points of Job. The reality of suffering and the sovereignty of God. Um, God is sovereign over us. God is sovereign, not us. Wisdom is found in God alone. God is always just. Um, one last one. I could literally give you ten right now. Um, avoid trite and easy answers in suffering. Avoid easy answers. Um, two significant passages, and then we'll move as we close out the day. Um, Job 28 is a significant... We. Uh, uh, Jake read it earlier. Job 28 is this beautiful hymn to wisdom. It says, where is wisdom? We look for it in caves. Sorry, we, we know how to find gold. We know how to find gems. No one can know where wisdom is except God alone. Very beautiful. I encourage you to go read that later. And then Job 38 and 41 is very, very powerful stuff. So that is wisdom literature. Is there... Three minutes. Any questions before we close out? Is the, pre is the, Christian, is the Christian faith a prerequisite to being able to really get things out of these books? That's an excellent question. I don't know if you guys heard that. That's an excellent question. Um, if I can say it like this, the Christian faith is not, we do not have a the fullest grasp on wisdom, okay? Wisdom is found, and I can prove this to you biblically, actually. Um, wisdom can be found in all kinds of sources, all kinds of sources. Proverbs 30 are the sayings of King Lemuel, okay, who is not an Israelite king. So what that means is that whoever compiled the book of Proverbs went to non-Israelite sources and said, that is wise. I will bring that in. Okay? 
So there can be wisdom, life, practicality in all places. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that. You can recognize that. You can, you can call that in people when you see it. But biblical wisdom is founded upon the fear of the Lord. And the fullest biblical wisdom is Christ. And so while there might be wisdom, it can't be in its highest degree. Because that is Jesus. There are so many passages like Colossians 2 that says, Philosophies are nonsense. Religion is nonsense. Because Christ crucified is the fullness of wisdom. So, great question, man. Anything else? You guys are tired. And as I said before, the Word of God said that. Ecclesiastes 12, much study wears the body. If I can close with this thought, wisdom is godliness applied. In Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman, and I do, I hope that you pursue lady wisdom. But I want you to know, kind of what we were just talking about right there, that wisdom is more than a personification. Wisdom is more than a personification. Wisdom actually is a person. It's a literal person. It's not just this abstract thought. Wisdom, the wisdom of God took on flesh. And that's how the authors of the New Testament spoke of Jesus. They said that Christ is the fullness of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says this, Jews want signs and Greeks want wisdom, but we give them Christ. We give them Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We do not need philosophy. We do not need answers. We have God given to us plainly. And God died on a cross saying that everything the world might think is wise is completely backwards. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Do you want to know how to be right and right standing in this world? Love Christ. Do you want to know the right technique to navigating life and culture? Apply Christianity as far as you can. And do you want to know what will ultimately fulfill you in the end? The question that Ecclesiastes wrestles with. Colossians 2.3 says that. He says, All the, wis- the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus. All of it. It's in the Lord. So, let me pray and then we'll be done. Lord God, I thank you for this time. I thank you that we've gotten the chance to walk through your wisdom literature. I just ask that you would send us out. Um, encouraged not only to go dive deeper into your word, um, emboldened um, that you've given us um, hard answers. I I can say this open, hard answers to navigate a very complex life that sometimes it's not straightforward and that you've acknowledged that and that we can walk through it. But Lord, that you've also given us Jesus. And I pray that we will just reflect on that, that you, Lord, are the fullness of all not even human knowledge, that none of us could ever come to know you by ourselves. I pray that whatever wisdom we think we have would be humbled as we reflect on you. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.